Hello friends and welcome to this message. I want to talk today about disputable issues. Uh, in the Peanuts comic strip in 1961 and in the 1966 animated television special, Linus, uh, the character says, there are three things that I've learned never to discuss with people. Religion, politics, and the great pumpkin. That was from, it's the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. This is because in the areas of religion and politics, we hold very firm and deeply felt opinions, and they touch our values, they impact our emotions, and where these are challenged, and we, especially if we don't feel listened to, we generally escalate the conversation into unproductive, angry conversations. Now, the truth is, uh, I'm unlikely to change my mind on anything I know about Jesus unless He Himself is the one who shows me my need to repent, and that is to take a new mind. Sometimes he says, son, you, you think too poorly of me. And so I've had a number of those in my life, and I expect to have a number more because he's just that magnificent. But if I'm going to get into a debate about Jesus and somebody doesn't agree with me, it's unlikely that an angry conversation is going to change my mind. And it's the same in politics. Now, I think all of politics has a religious aspect to it, and in religion there is of necessity elements of politics, because those on the mountain of religion typically speak into their country's morality and faith. <clears throat> but it's on those who are on the mountain of government who have been given the authority to create and enforce the laws that govern public behavior. So we're both looking at the same thing, and, we, and we're of necessity going to have to have debate. Now, part of the mandate of the church is to hold back evil and wickedness and to demonstrate uh, the kingdom of God. Our job is to destroy the works of the evil one, to demonstrate the beauty of the nature of God, His righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We've got a job to do. We are called to a higher citizenship. Uh, we're called kingdom Americans. If you want to hyphen in front of your, your nationality, we're kingdom Americans. My allegiance is primarily to the kingdom of God. So the answer is not, of course, to never discuss these extremely important issues, to remove ourselves from the conversation and leave it up to those people who are in rebellion to Jesus. Now, our job is to set forth the truth plainly, graciously, without judgment or without ridicule. And in the process, we will gain for ourselves a sense of perspective and discover the real values of our heart. During this next season, you and I need to be salt and light, love and grace, joy and peace and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. Because over the next 40-something days, they look like they're set to be some of the most divisive political seasons of our lives because both political parties are spending in excess of a billion dollars each employing some of the world's most persuasive marketers and the best image consultants and social media gurus and technical wizards. People are going to be analyzing our spending habits, our cell phone apps, our internet habits, and they're going to tailor make messages just for for us to move us. Vast networks of volunteers are focused on winning us to a singular perspective to get our emotions stirred up and once convinced to keep us in their camp. Companies, media outlets, television stations, movies, print media, surging and frothing and clamoring to stir you up and to engage you in their cause. And what is the answer to this? for kingdom people. Well, I want to say that Jesus has an opinion about this election. So the best place you can go is directly to Him and ask Him, Lord, what do you want me to do? What is it that's on your heart? 
With Him, you'll find rest and peace and joy and security. But if you don't go to Him outside of Jesus, there is contention and wrath and ripping and tearing others down and divisiveness. Now, just as this is a tense time politically, we have similarly had a pandemic and are frustrated about its impact on our lives and the inconveniences it's created in our society. We have distinct and different ideas about its dominance, its spread, and its right to disrupt our lives. So people are stirred up. It's an emotional time. It's been a gut-wrenching year, but it's been a gift of a year from the Lord. A real shake-up of what can be shaken so that the eternal kingdom on the inside of us will shine because that kingdom cannot be shaken. It's the great call of the age to find our anchorage in Jesus and to be unmoved by the tossing waves, to be settled in Him through the storm. What a gift of God this season has been. So again we ask, what is the answer to this season? It remains for you and I to go to Jesus to find peace in His presence and in His counsel. Now perhaps the worst thing that could happen for believers in this season is for us to lose our anchorage in Jesus, to let go of Him as our reference point, to get lost in the foaming waves of this moment, to uh, step back and to be swept away by the cunning and craftiness of men, to be emotionally hijacked, but not for eternal purposes, not for the kingdom's sake, to spend our lives on temporary issues. And people say, but Greg, you have to understand there are great things, that, important things that are going on in our country right now. And God is on the move doing profound things. And I say, yes, absolutely. But if you and I want to maximize our, our working with God, if you want to be led and used by God, if you want to co-labor with Him in this moment, then the absolute best place for you and I to be is to remain centered and anchored in Him and to be listening to His voice, to be doing what He says. Let's be about our God's business now. So no matter what else you listen to, I need you to hear this. You need to have your focus and your primary devotion and your primary attention on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I need to be listening to what He says. Because you will go out in peace, be led forth with joy, and the Spirit of God will use you in powerful ways. I want to talk about the fact that disputable matters will always be around. There will always be disputable matters, some things where there are multiple opinions and people can get lost and caught up, caught up in a flurry, in a whirlwind of distinct issue that doesn't have any eternal fruit. And many times in Scripture, the apostles call to the church, do not get caught up. Do not get caught up in genealogies. Don't get caught up in squabbles. Don't get caught up in quarrelings. Don't get caught up because it's just a little side journey that's going to waste your time, your talents, your energy, and your resources. Let's keep the focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll avoid disputable matters. I want you to come with me to Romans chapter 14 because Paul is dealing with us in the, the church of the Romans. And he says this in verse 1, Accept him whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does eat everything must not judge, who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. 
for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, the servant will stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. We are precluded from being able to treat other people who disagree with us with contempt, and we are forbidden to judge other people who have a different opinion to us. We're told to accept them, to draw them to ourselves, to bid them welcome, to receive them with affection and tenderness. In other words, to love people with actions, accept the person whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Now, the early church championed by Peter, who had this great sheep vision where he saw unclean animals come down and the Lord said, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And that led to the massive revelation that the Gentiles were accepted by God just as the Jews were. That it wasn't just the Jewish nation who were the chosen people of God, but Gentiles had been chosen. And when they believed in Jesus Christ, that made them part of the chosen. And Peter had led this charge that the Jewish legal limits of food were abolished in Christ. And so you had this uh, all Gentiles and all Jews that fundamentally understood that righteousness was not earned by observation of all these ceremonial laws, but righteousness came by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Peter had proclaimed this vision at the council in Jerusalem where this debate had raged and been engaged by all the leading opinions at that time. Everybody came together. This was the big debate. And uh, because Peter was such a giant of the early church, his, his word carried a lot of weight. He was the rock appointed by Jesus, the leader on the day of Pentecost. His word carried power. Now that along with the testimony of Paul and Barnabas about the miracles that God was continually doing through them amongst the Gentiles, brought the Jerusalem council to a place of agreement where they said, all right, we understand, absolutely. We are all together on this, that salvation and acceptance and, and favor with God all come on the basis of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and on the finished work of His cross and not on the basis of ceremonial adherence to the law. And so this is what they did. So the Jews and the Gentiles were, were accepted by God when they embraced Jesus by faith. It was not on the basis of obedience to the law. So the council then came together and they said, look, we'd like to just ask uh, just something of our Jewish brothers and sisters. Out of deference to the Jews, please refrain from meat uh, that has been strangled or that has blood in it or has been offered to idols um, because this was just abhorrent to Jewish people. So let me read that to you from Acts 15 verse 19. James gets up, he's wrapping up the Jerusalem council and this is what he says. It is my judgment, therefore, we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from foods that have been polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from meat strangled uh, with animals which still has their blood in it. So the Gentiles, uh, from this Jewish perspective, uh, were always seen as the nations who were sexually immoral and idolatrous. So the Jewish believers said, look, we, absolutely, you don't have to... You don't have to adhere to all the Jewish customs, but you do have to believe in Jesus. And we're just asking you that you abstain from sexual immorality and, you, and you're not known for idol eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols. So that was, that was a, a great concession. Everybody agreed to that. They said, that's great because in, in, in Jesus Christ, we don't want to be idolaters and we don't want to be sexually immoral anyway. We want to honor the Lord Jesus Christ with purity and the way we live. 
So you had Jews and Gentiles coming together in the church and celebrating their oneness that God had broken this dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. This, uh, uh, this judgment and this criticism, this mockery of one another had been completely broken down. And the Jews, however, still, because they were Jews, this was their heritage, they had a choice. The Jewish believers, now they, some of them still loved and adhered to the ways of the law uh, that was given to the Jews and to their nation. Now, they, it was hard for some of them to completely renounce the Torah because they said that's the Word of God. And as it is, as we believe, uh, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful to us. And that's what some of the, the believers say, but this is the Word of God. I'm not going to throw it away. I'm going to adhere to this. And so Jewish believers had a difficult time knowing where to observe the Torah and where not to observe the Torah because if they, if they threw out observance to the Torah and just follow Jesus by faith, they felt like they were turning their backs on their heritage. Now, this trouble sort of manifested a number of years later when Peter comes to the Galatian churches and Paul is in the church and, and this is what he says in Galatians 2.11, When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For certain men came from James before that, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. And when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you're forcing Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So this issue of eating meat was in some places considered generally to be banned for believers. Because most place, when you wanted to buy some meat, you went into the town center. And the, and the most prolific places where you could purchase meat was at the, at the back of the idol's temples. Some god, people came and brought a sacrifice to that god. They would pour out the blood. They would eat some of it. But they'd sell some of the meat outside the temple. So, so most Christians, if you wanted to buy meat, you bought it outside an idol's temple. And that led a number of people to say, you can't possibly eat that meat. It's been dedicated to an idol. How can you as a believer? And besides, it wasn't, it wasn't done in the kosher way. It wasn't killed right. The blood wasn't completely taken out before it was dead. You can't eat that meat, which was a Jewish requirement. And so there was this big debate, like you can't eat meat that's sacrificed to an idol. And, and even if that, if you get past that, you're still offending your Jewish brothers. And this is not good for you. So the issue of eating meat uh, just became such a contentious issue in the church. And so some people just said, you know what, it's easier not to eat any meat. I'll just become a vegetarian because that way I don't offend anybody and, uh, you know, there's no issue. So Paul is coming to this idea that winning an argument over eating or non-eating, the clarification of meats that can be eaten and which meats shouldn't be eaten, the justification of one group of believers over another was a much lesser value than the unity that exists in the family of believers. Paul is saying, listen, guys, I don't care whether you eat meat or don't eat meat. 
I don't mind the fact that you got it at an idol's temple. You didn't get it at an idol's temple. I don't mind the fact, he said, because in my opinion, when you said, thank you, Jesus, for this meat, it was sanctified to you and you can go ahead and eat it. He said, but the truth is you cannot use this moment, whatever your conviction, to, to cause a division in the body of Christ. Just because you have to recognize there are other people who are in the body to whom you owe allegiance and a debt of love that you cannot just say you're foolish and I want nothing to do with you. You cannot for the sake of meat allow a division in the body of Christ. The greater value by far, by far, is the unity of the Spirit. And so in Romans 14, 19, Paul brings this whole argument to his conclusion. And I want to bring that conclusion to you right up front. This is what he says. Therefore, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother and sister to fall. Now, let me say this loud and clear. You and I have a responsibility under God to make every effort, every effort, not a minor effort, not a half-hearted effort, every effort to do whatever leads to peace in the body of Christ and mutual edification. We are precluded, let me say it again, to be able to treat others who disagree with us with contempt, we are forbidden to judge other people. And I've heard so much contempt being thrown across by believers against other believers during this time. It saddens me. It should not be. Do not get caught up in the waves of this age. We are not allowed to treat one another with contempt or to judge one another for the things that we believe. We are told to accept, to draw to ourselves, to bid them welcome, to show grace and love to people. There are always going to be disputable matters. And in the early church, the disputable matters where you can't eat meat sacrificed to idols. Uh, is it right to give people in marriage? Because some people were saying it's not right. Some people were saying it's right. Some people said you have to observe the Sabbath day. It's a particularly holy day. Other people said all days are the same. Some people said you cannot drink wine. Other people said drinking wine is fine. And so there were these disputable matters in that day in the early church. There are going to be disputable matters in the church today. What I'm trying to let you know, as clear as the scripture says, you cannot allow a disputable matter to take your heart so that you break the higher value of the unity of the body of Christ. Paul teaches then, the second thing I want to say is that everybody should have a settled conviction. Romans 14, 5, one person considers a day more sacred than another. Another considers each day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. For whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. Paul brings this idea. He says, whatever you do, if you have a conviction in your own heart and you give thanks to God for it, you're doing it unto the Lord and it's acceptable to the Lord because it comes out of an honest heart. Now, once we've a settled conviction, I'm not allowed to use my personal conviction as a vehicle for judgment or contempt of others and especially of other believers. These are precluded, forbidden. Don't let this person or this season allow you to feel justified to judge or show contempt for other people's opinions. You and I are called to live our lives 
for Jesus Christ. Don't let others take you captive. Romans 14.10 You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For here's the truth, we'll all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. What am I saying? It's a good thing that you personally come to a settled conclusion about these things in your own heart. Think about them. Pray about them. Seek the Lord's face. And when you come to a settled opinion, do it unto Him. He will treasure your devotion to Him. He'll treasure every sacrifice you make on His behalf. He'll treasure and value every consideration you make towards the rest of the body of Christ because you did it because you believed it was the right thing to do. What you do in faith is acceptable to the Lord. Thirdly, I want to say, let your conviction govern your life. Romans 14, 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. For I am convinced, fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. If your brother and sister is distressed by what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know to be good to be spoken of of evil, because the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves God in this way, in righteousness, peace, and joy, is pleasing to God and receives human approval. This is a fascinating concept. If you believe it is wrong, then it is wrong for you. Because your conscience testifies with you, that's a bad thing to do. And if you do that, you violate your own conscience. You do that. You're not doing it in faith. You step out and you believe that's wrong, then for you that is wrong. Just as I can't let somebody else's conviction govern my life, I can't assume that my convictions can govern their lives. This is the great rookie mistake of the convinced. God doesn't like the way you're doing that. God is angry with you. That You've got it wrong. God is cutting you off. That is a legalistic, rookie, bad, bad thing to do. This expressing judgment, this showing contempt for others because their opinion is different to yours. To his own master, they will stand or fall, the scripture says. God is the one who'll judge them. Every one of us will stand before him and we'll give an account to him for the choices we make. But if every choice I make, even if it's a wrong one, if I believed at the time it was right and I did it unto him, will be acceptable to him. Verse 22. So whatever you believe, about these things, keep between yourself and God, because blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves of. But whoever doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. I bet you've never heard a sermon on this verse. Keep what you believe quiet. Because that's what Paul said. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Well, I think you can or you can't drink wine. Keep it between yourself and God. Well, I think you should value one day's more holy. Keep it between yourself and God. Do not, for the sake of winning an argument, bring damage to the unity of the body of Christ. We're not allowed to do that, friends. 
Let us make every effort, Paul says, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Do not go do this. For more reading, we don't have time to get to it. Go read 1 Corinthians chapter 8, where Paul talks about this whole idea of meat sacrificed to idols. I think it'll bring tremendous health and life to you. I want to take us to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, just a few chapters later. In verse 23, Paul says, and this was the brag of people, I have the right to do anything you say. Yes, but not everything is going to be beneficial for you. I have the right to do anything. Yeah, but not everything is constructive. No one, here's the principle, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything that's sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord and everything in it. And if an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put in front of you without raising questions of conscience. I love this. Paul says, listen, if you go to the market, buy some meat, say, thank you, Jesus, go home, cook a meat, celebrate it and enjoy it. Don't pick, go, was this meat sold to an idol? Which idol temple did this come from? Don't, he said, don't raise questions of conscience. And if an unbeliever wants you to come, sit down at the meal with them. Say, thank you, Jesus, in your heart. Don't say, but now where did you get this meat from? Was this, don't, don't raise these questions of conscience. Don't pick a fight. Don't raise these questions of conscience. Be happy. Be joyful because you have a mission that's far greater than winning an argument. You have a mission to show forth the glory of Him who called you out of darkness. You have a responsibility to bring God's kingdom to the earth. You have a mandate to be an ambassador for the King of glory. Far higher calling, far greater value in our lives. The final rule I want to leave us with is what Paul ends this chapter with. Do everything in the next few months for the glory of God. Because he says in verse 31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many. Why? So that they may be saved. Let me close with just a, a short recap on this message. Disputable matters are always going to be around. We're in for a bumpy few months because the disputable matters around us are going to be front and center. They're always going to be around, but you and I have a higher calling. You and I have a much greater value to pour our lives out for, a much greater cause than just getting over COVID than just a political party. You and I have a much greater cause to see the kingdom of God made manifest on the earth. And Jesus wants to do it through you. He wants to make himself manifest through you. And the only way he does that is when you walk in love and when you step out in faith. Faith working through love. That's the only thing that counts in the kingdom. But disputable matters are always going to be around. Secondly, 
you and I need to come to a personal inner settled conviction. And the absolute best place for you and I to find that is in the presence and in the voice of Jesus Christ. Get into His Word, spend time with Him, and listen to His voice right now. That is the absolute best advice you can have. Go seek Him out. Wake up early. Spend more time in prayer. This is the season for that, friends. You will be so glad. This is an opportune moment, a Kairos time in our history, in our nation, in this moment. This is the time to, to put away some other stuff and seek your God hard and earnestly because He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. But you should come to a settled conviction and that conviction should be based of what He's told you. And then you should let that conviction govern your life. That's a settled calm inner conviction. And, and I'm not going to judge and I'm not going to treat other people with contempt. I am going to manifest the love of my Father. I'm going to love people and be gracious to them. I'm going to speak life over them. I'm going to bless them even if they curse me. I'm going to walk in a different way for I am a son of a different God. I am not a son of Adam. I am a son of God Almighty and His love should be made manifest through me. Now, in the process of while I'm having these convictions and walking them out, remember, I may not judge others or treat them with contempt. I must do everything that leads to peace and mutual edification. And I must do everything for the glory of God. If you and I can settle this message in our hearts and take the next 40-something days and walk this out, I think we will have done our country a powerful good. This is a great season, a magnificent opportunity, and an urgent call to be in prayer for our nation, that the value and the kingdom of our God be made manifest in our nation, in our laws, in this time. Join us in this call to prayer. Join us in this urgency of the moment. Because we're going to see God do in our days things that are beautiful and unimaginable as His kingdom settles and His revival takes root in this nation. Thanks for being with us. We so appreciate you. God bless.